pray unto the Lord. Dear Father in heaven, as we uh, open thy word this morning hour to receive the word of life, what we need, dear Father, we acknowledge the utter dependence of ourselves on thee, on thy spirit. We acknowledge the weakness of the servant to bring forth that word. We acknowledge, dear Father, the, the weakness of those that are hearing it too, that apart from thee, they can do nothing. And that without thy good and Holy Spirit working, there can be uh, no lasting fruit and nothing of value. But dear Father, we also acknowledge that the Holy Spirit works in hearts that are open and receptive, those that have let go of themselves. So dear Father, help us to do that this morning hour, to let go of ourselves, to let go of what we think is important in the, in the human way of thinking, the things that would cloud and distract us from hearing the speaking of thy spirit. Dear Father, thou art so good. Thou art a wonderful, gracious, loving Father. Thy word makes this clear, and those that know thee have experienced this. And even all of mankind, if they would but open their eyes, they could see a beautiful world that has been created by an all-powerful, loving Father. And yet they can also see pain and hurt around them. Dear Father, there is an answer for this in thy word. There is an answer for this in thy word, Jesus Christ, the living word. It's his, in his name that we're gathered this morning. It's his life and his, uh, his doings and, and the whole Bible that speaks of him that we wish to read from. Dear Father, we thank thee for thy son, Jesus Christ, and for his sacrifice on the cross, his death for us, and his resurrection to bring many sons unto glory. Dear Father, we thank thee for this small gathering here. The, the few that are here, dear Father, we, we do uh, thank thee for that and, and acknowledge that as a blessing for each one. And we also thank thee for each one that's gathered online, dear Father, that, that is now hungry to hear thy word. We know, dear Father, thou wilt not disappoint us. Thou art gracious and good, and thou wilt work in spite of and through uh, the, 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 jar, the vessels, the, uh, the pots of clay. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For this morning's meditation, I'd like to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. Luke, chapter 7. Starting with verse 1. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, this is the previous chapter, was the Sermon on the Plain, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this, for he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. 
Then Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I am myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say to one, unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found that the servant found the servant whole that had been sick. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the regions round about. I'd like to skip the next portion. It's a long chapter. I'd like to, to go to verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman of the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered, and he said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, 
but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. I've read to the end of the chapter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I don't know if it's, it's because I've not been too long in the ministry um, uh, preaching God's word, but I've been thinking recently, why do we preach? What is the purpose of, of preaching? Isn't it just sufficient to, to read this word? Since we, we do acknowledge that is the most important part of, of our service, of our gathering together, is when we read God's word and anything that's said thereafter has to be based on it and has to be founded on it. So why do we preach? What is the purpose of, of preaching? What's the purpose that, that we gather here to, to today? Is it to hear some thoughts that I may have some, whatever I as a, as a person may, may, may bring and, um, for your consideration? No, I, I certainly hope it's not that. I, I pray to the Lord that that's not the purpose and the reason that we gather here, just to hear some, some thoughts that I may have. What is the purpose of preaching? Why do we preach God's word? Number one, it's commanded in the, in, in, in the Bible. Clearly, as you read the Bible, as you read God's word and, and see uh, his plan for salvation for mankind, preaching is an integral part of that. It's, it's, it's vital. Uh, all the way from the beginning, from the beginning, certainly, of the New Testament with John the Baptist, the preaching that he preached, and then when Jesus came, he preached to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This, and then as he read um, in uh, that, that sermons recorded in, in Nazareth, where he read from Isaiah that the Lord has, has, has appointed him to preach the gospel to the poor, and, and then he explained and he expounded upon that, that uh, the Old Testament scripture. Preaching was a part of his ministry. It was a critical and vital, important part. And the passage we read was at the conclusion of a, of a sermon, a, a sermon on the plain. But even more so on this side of the cross and on this side of, of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the preaching that we preach, as Paul says, is the preaching of the cross. That is the uh, the thing that we are all in some measure, in some form, tasked with to, to, to spread that message. To preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and that is ultimately the, the goal and the aim of, of any words that are spoken across this pulpit is to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And why? Because that is the means of salvation. It's not simply enough for me it's not God's purpose that I would just give you a Bible and say, here, go, discover, find what you need to find, be saved. That's not how God has planned it. 
He has planned that weak vessels, earthen vessels, would proclaim his truth, would, would tell the truth of, of Scripture, of the Word of God that's written here, would expound on it, would, would, would explain it perhaps, would help make it relevant so that we could understand in a way that's different than you or I in our private time uh, reading the, the Word of God, as I hope and pray we all do, um, that we meditate upon it. But now it's different when someone is given that commission um, that responsibility to proclaim that gospel, to, to, to speak that same word to you, there's a different dimension now in the preaching of the word than if I were just to read it of myself. One simple example, beautiful example, is um, that Ethiopian eunuch traveling on that, that road and Philip meeting that, that Ethiopian. He was reading the word of God, but he didn't understand. He couldn't clearly understand the purpose and the reason for it. And Philip had to explain the gospel and had to explain all of what had just happened, those contemporary events of his day. So that is one purpose, is, is God's word is, uh, it's clear as you read it that preaching is the moan. And it's not committed to, to angels, it's committed to man. It's committed to, to people that have experienced it, people that have seen that this word is true and then can proclaim it and say, yes, it is true in my life. And my life is consistent with it. And as I say that, I am so weak. And any servant of the Lord who, who preaches his, his word will acknowledge that. It, it is done in weakness. It's not done um, because we have some pedigree and some resume. But it's done as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul said too. That he follows and he would that others would follow him too. So it is committed to us to... to to read this word, to meditate upon it, to preach upon it in a way that will help you to understand it and to make it relevant to your lives here and today. And I've experienced that before too, and I'm sure you have too, that the word that you read in your own privacy, in this, maybe even if this read this account in your own uh, privacy and quiet time, any, any word, it often does take a different dimension and there's something that maybe you didn't want to think about or had put off or didn't see that when you come under the preaching of the word, as, as we use that, that term, God reveals something different and something um, that he wants you to see that maybe would not have been revealed in your quiet time alone. And that's why it's important. Even in today's modern mass media age where there's easy dissemination, we can look at a video on YouTube, we could see this or see that, it is vitally important that God's word is preached locally. It's preached uh, to to in the context of people that know each other, that hold each other accountable, that can help each other to live this gospel. And that's what we are doing here in the face of restrictions and, and, uh, and limited numbers, but we continue to preach God's word and we pray it has its effect even online to those that are listening. So we have a simple account here that we, we, we've read, uh, three simple accounts, what Jesus has, has done. The one was the centurion's servant he healed. The, the second was the, the widow of Nain's son that was raised from the dead. And the last was this, this woman uh, who came to Simon's house, Simon the Pharisee's house. And each of these accounts has something special to say to us, something that's relevant for us here and now that reveals the, the, supreme, the supremely relevant person, Jesus Christ, the one who who created all of this, who is the cause of all of this to begin with, 
the one who started it all and the one who will conclude it all as we read or we studied this past week in CFG. This first account here, the centurion's servant, and, and it's remarkable. This man is, is the, as you consider this account and look at his response and um, the contrast, I suppose, to the others, the, 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 the religious leaders, the Jewish nation, and this man, the centurion, it is remarkable. So he was a Roman centurion. He was, a, he was an officer in the, in the Roman army. The Roman army, as we all know, they were the oppressors. They were the ones that were subjugating this, this, this area of Palestine. Most of the known world then was under the Roman Empire. And this man is a symbol of that. Not, not just a symbol, he was an active tool of that oppression in the sense of, of military, occupying force, etc. But it's amazing the, the respect, the relationship that these Jews uh, acknowledge. He, they, first of all, the fact that he sent unto him, that the centurion was able to send the elders of the Jews to Jesus to, to petition him and that they would go willingly. And as it made it clear later, they, they said, this, this man, uh, he's treated us well. He's built a synagogue. He, he, he understands, he respects, he believes in the same God. That, that, that we have the, the God of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though he's a Gentile. Not only that, but this man's true understanding of himself. His humility is what stands apart. And I think that's what sticks in my mind as I see this, this Humility of this man out of which then this faith that is greater than any other that Jesus found in Israel. These, these, the Jews, they come to Jesus and they say, you really need to listen to his petition because he's done, he's worthy for whom he should do this. He loves our nation. He built us a synagogue. And then this man himself, what he says, he says, I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Maybe he was cognizant to that, that the, the Jews didn't like to enter into, uh, some taught it was wrong. I don't think it's in the law, but rabbinical teachings, whatever, it was wrong to enter into a, a Gentile's house. And maybe he was acknowledging that. But he, out of, out of humility, out of, um, this is the Roman nation. These are the people that, that are over these, these, these squalid, poor people of, of, of Palestine. And yet he is saying this, I'm, you're not worthy, I'm not worthy that you should enter in under my roof and even more so i'm not i don't feel worthy to come into your presence wherefore neither thought i myself worthy to come unto thee the jewish nation is saying one thing of this man but he understands who he really is before god he has no pretense what a lesson for us what a um a perspective check what other people say about us, what our heart hangs on about what other people might say or evaluate us, and how it, that may make us feel good and make us feel worthy, versus who we acknowledge we truly are before the Lord. We're not worthy that he should enter into our dwelling place. We're not worthy to appear in his presence. And on that basis, the faith in the living God springs forth and comes out. And this man the truth that he understands, that is revealed to him, because ultimately no truth can be revealed, but the Holy Spirit gives it. 
And that's why faith can only spring up in a humble heart. This man realizes just who Jesus is, the type of authority he has, that this man, Jesus, can say something and not even be in the presence of other people, and it can happen. Just like this man, as a centurion, as a, as a soldier, he understands the chain of command. He can command soldiers, go 50 miles, go 100 miles, and do this or do that, capture these people, defend this and that, and it's done. He understands this is the same way, this is the same authority and greater because it's spiritual authority, it's not human authority that this man Jesus has. And that truth was revealed to this Gentile. Isn't that amazing? That out of, out of the ground of a humble heart, that it is, is in no way, um, I love, I love this expression that Jesus marvels at his faith. And to me, that, that I was thinking of why would the God of the universe marvel at his creation who he knows completely? He knows our frame. He knows how much faith we have. And is that a surprise to him? Why would, why would Jesus marvel? Jesus, verse 9, heard these things. He marveled at him and turned him about and said, I haven't found this great faith not in Israel. And... The only way I can really understand that now as a, as a father is when my children would, would say or do something that just causes me to smile and to, to wonder at them, to kind of to, uh, just go, wow, that's, that delights me so much. I, I marvel at it. It's not a surprise to me. I know who my children are. I know their character. But when they do something and respond and, and, and in a certain way, I think that's the same way. And it can be in the, in the negative sense too. Jesus did marvel at the unbelief of those that he grew up with. But he marveled at this man. And, and truly, as, it, as it, he requested, it happened, his servant was healed. And Jesus has that kind of authority and power to say something and it is done. He is the one that spoke the world, the world into being. That's a, a Colossians, I think, says, by whom also he made the worlds. Or Hebrews 1. So that's the first account we have here of this, this centurion, remarkable man in so many ways, and remarkable because he realizes just how little and how nothing he is. And that is what makes him remarkable because the vast majority of humanity goes along and holds, and holds on to their sense of, 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 of self-worth and importance and striving and trying to get ahead. And that doesn't really get anywhere with God. And we, those of us that have experienced some of this truth, realize it's empty, it's vain, it's going to all dissipate, that kind of pushing and striving. The, the only man that is blessed is the one who humbles himself before the Lord, acknowledges his, his unworthiness. This Lord is gracious. That's the next account we read here about this widow of Nain. Came to pass the day after. He went into a city called Nain. And he just happened to meet. And that's, that's with Jesus. There is no just happening. There is no uh, um, coincidence. If he had been a little bit later, he would have missed this procession. If he had been a little bit earlier, it would have not have started yet. But he came at that exact time, in that exact moment, to meet uh, a woman in, in her great need, this widow who had lost her only son. We probably know that in that culture especially, that's a grievous blow I mean, it, losing your children would always be a grievous blow. But 
in, in so many ways um, was hard. And uh, we think things are hard, and they are hard. There's no sugarcoating of suffering. There's no uh, um, wiping away of the real suffering that we experience, the loss, the, the, the pain, the sickness, the illness that we go through. If we are just to brush that aside with, with, with light, trite platitudes, the Lord works all things out, as we heard in, in the, the sermon the previous, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, about suffering and the purpose of suffering. If we were just to brush these things lightly aside, but that's not the nature of Jesus, is he makes a difference. He had compassion on this woman. He stopped the funeral procession, and he seems to be doing that. He did that with Lazarus, too. He disrupts death. He's the only one that has the victory over death. He's the only one that can halt death in its tracks and say, no, this is it. I will, I will deal with this. He did that with uh, J. Iris' daughter, too. When all the mourners, when, when, when death was on, on the march, when it was all going, he was the one that was stopped it and, and, and had the power, and he has the power to, to help us see past death. Death will meet each one of us. And uh, when we are not in, or when we are in good health, when things are going well, that thought seems far off. But as health deteriorates, as, as we go through illnesses, it comes closer and closer. The Lord has that victory and that power over death. And he did something amazing. He raised him to dead. He raised the dead to life again. But this last, this last account here, I'd like to, to spend the most time on because I think of the three accounts that we've read, this last one is the most powerful. And you may say, well, what happened in the, in the case of this last event? Nothing really happened. Jesus just said something to someone and that was it. And these other ones, he raised someone from the dead. He, he, he healed someone that was on the, on, the, on the death's doorstep. How is this last account here of, of this, this, this sinner woman greater than those other two accounts? I think those other accounts... Those people did eventually die. They were the, the servant that was restored to health, he did eventually die. That young man that was, was, was raised from his funeral buyer was restored to, uh, was eventually did go the way of all flesh. But what Jesus said to this woman, of this sinner woman, who is a picture of all of us, is something that is for eternity, is something that is applicable to everyone here and now. He said, woman, thy sins be forgiven thee. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. This is the real problem. This is the real dilemma of mankind. And this is really what's the whole purpose 
of the preaching of the cross, of the preaching of what we preach, the, 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 the truth and, the, and the, what is right and what is good, it is, all goes to this, the, that salvation uh, is for those that are, realize their sinful state. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that don't acknowledge their, their sinful state, don't acknowledge the problem of sin. That's why Paul said that the preaching of, of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. Those that don't really see the need but to those that believe, it is the power of God unto salvation. This taking heed to God's word, this believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, this makes all the difference. This is what transforms some words spoken that quickly fade, those pulsations on your eardrums that, 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 that will, will pass, maybe even the words that you forget with, with in, in a few hours time, a few minutes time, this is what will transform those things into something eternal and lasting that will allow triumph over death, that, that end state of all mankind. This forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, this believing in him and being completely changed, that's, that's the nature of this encounter, isn't it? This woman was probably uh, a woman of ill repute. It was plainly known by all that were in that house there that she was a sinner. And usually that implies she was probably a prostitute or something of that nature. And uh, Jesus is just so remarkable in so many ways. What he sees through, he sees through the heart of Simon. He sees into the heart of this woman completely. That's the man I want to follow. That is the man, the God-man Jesus Christ that's the one I want to be like, the one who sees past the, the exterior, the, um, the foregone conclusion, as it were. This, this person, I know what they're like. They'll never change. So this woman comes in, and, and um, you probably know in that culture that, that they, they reclined at table, they ate, and, and probably their feet were behind them. That's how to make sense of, of this, that, that she stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. This extravagant emotional display that, if you or I were in that room, we would probably be embarrassed. We would probably wonder, what's going on here? This is, this is unseemly. This is, especially if we knew who that woman was. And yet, and that's the, the monologue, that would, that, that's the interior, uh, the, the words that were going through Simon's head as he, as he says, you know, this man, is, he can't be a prophet. He, he's letting this woman touch his feet and, and she's a sinner. And, and Jesus, knowing completely who he was, but more so knowing the Father's heart and his love for every one of his creation, all of his creation, everyone that passes, and how far I am from that. Uh, loving everyone the way the Lord Jesus does. Knowing that, he responds and tells Simon completely what he's seeing, what he's thinking. You know, Simon probably thought, Jesus hasn't really seen this woman. He hasn't maybe turned around or knows who's touching him. And yet Jesus has to say to Simon, seest thou this woman? 
Do you really see her? Do you see her as she is? Do you see into the depths of her heart? Do you see a broken and a contrite spirit, someone who's broken by their sin, someone who is uh, just hoping for that chance of redemption, that opportunity, and I don't think God's grace has an effect on anyone who's not, doesn't come to that, that spot, that, that, that point of, 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 of total dependence and utter dependence. This woman probably felt crushed in her situation where she was, that was hopeless, she was trapped in her situation, and then Jesus came along and spoke those words of, of kindness, of, 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 of redemption, of, of hope, and that was that window, that was, here's my chance. Here's the chance to change that, this horrible life that I find myself in, that I feel hollow and gutted and my friend outside of Christ. That's the chance. Through the preaching of the word, as God's word is, is spoken, as these accounts are read, as you read them in your quiet time and private time, that is your chance, that's your opportunity to escape the life that traps you, the life of sin, just like this woman. Because Jesus sees you completely. He sees your heart completely. He knows exactly what you've done. And more than that, he knows the depths that he's paid for you in forgiveness. Her sins, which are many. Jesus did not minimize that in, in, in any way. Your sins, which are many, are forgiven. He gave that little illustration to Simon. And, and it kind of seems like in that response, Simon's response, he begrudgingly, he knows where this is going. He says, I suppose the one who has forgiven much. He will, he's the one that will love much. And now it was incumbent on Simon and it's incumbent on every one of us to see ourselves in that same situation. That we, apart from the Lord's mercy, we're in that same situation and we ought to have the same response to a love and adore the Lord Jesus. He's done so much for us. This third account is the one that has the, that gives us all the hope for today. If, if Jesus was simply a miracle worker 2,000 years ago that did some amazing things, we would probably just conscribe it or subscribe it to a bunch of myths and, 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 and say, well, that was just something that happened. But no, all of these things were done with the intent and the purpose leading up to the cross, to Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And... That is what needs to be proclaimed for however many more years the Lord will give on this earth, however many more, and, and probably not many more, until he comes again in great power and authority. We are blessed if we're like that centurion, if we realize here and now the authority that Jesus has, the power that he has, that he possesses here and now, because one day, all of earth, as we study this past week in Revelation 20, the, that picture of Jesus coming again on a, on a white horse and, and just slaying with the sword of his mouth all of those that oppose him, that is the ultimate authority, that is the ultimate power that, that will lay, there will be no opposition, there will be no, um, there will be nothing anymore at that point to, to, to turn him back, but here and now, God has deigned, he has designed that the, the foolishness of preaching, the preaching of the cross, will be the means by which mankind is given the choice. Do I submit to that authority? 
Do I experience that power, that life-changing power, or am I going to oppose it to my utter ruin? You know, we cannot promise healing today. Uh, we've heard the, the, the news of, of or Sister Joanne has, has taken a turn for the worse, it seems. We, ca- we, cannot, uh, we cannot just simply, as some would want to do, that say, well, we're just going to claim this promise and we'll, we'll lay hands on her and that'll be, it's guaranteed she'll be healed. Sometimes that does happen. God can and does work miracles here and today and he, he, he desires and delights to answer the prayers of his children. But it's not a promise that we'll be physically healed today or that we'll be even more so raised from the dead physically in the here and now. But one thing we can promise today and one thing that we can put all of our hopes on is the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. The change, the power that is in Jesus Christ. That, that's a promise. That is a sure thing. That, that go in peace that Jesus said. He said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. That can be promised to each one here and now today. We can go in peace. There's nothing that can prevent us from, from claiming that promise as we humble ourselves. Don't let Satan deceive you to think that there is something that can stand in the way of that, that there's something that, that is obstructing that. No, it can all be laid down at Jesus Christ's feet here and now, and we can experience that, feith, that, that peace, that saving faith, like this woman did. That's my prayer, that the Lord would uh, do that work, that amazing life-changing work in each one of us, that, that the, the, the preaching that's done in weakness and um, halting speech would have that life-changing power, that the, the message of the cross would come through that. That is simply the responsibility that we are given, that we have to do to the best of our ability, as the Lord has given us. May he grant the increase for the seed that is sown this morning hour. I'd like to conclude just with a few verses from the the end of the the first chapter, 1 Corinthians. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence." But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. 
That's the one I want to glory in, the one we've read about this morning hour. His heart, uh, his transforming power, that is the preaching of the cross that can change you and can change me. God can take that weak, despised, broken woman who was a sinner and do far more with her than he could with the proud, quote-unquote, upright man sitting at the table with him. That's what he wants with you and me, too. All he requires from us is brokenness, and he, he can do the things which will honor him and glorify him. It starts with our brokenness, our weeping at his feet, our thanks for his great salvation. May the Lord give us that clarity to see where we've drifted from that, where we need to return to the feet of our Savior, to thank him for our salvation, and to then go in peace. May the Lord bless his word. This concludes our service.